Hello and welcome to New Narrative's public forum about Singapore's Foreign Interference Countermeasures Bill. My name is PJ Thumb. I'm New Narrative's founder and managing director, and I'm wearing a blue and white batik shirt and standing in front of a big bookshelf. My pronouns are he, him. New Narrative is a member-supported movement for democracy in Southeast Asia, and if you find this event useful and would like to see more, please join our movement at newnarrative.com join or donate at newnarrative.com donate. As we'll be talking about in a second, this may actually be your last chance to support New Narrative, so please do so right away if you believe in our work. Joining us today, we have Carol Yuan, a lawyer with Peter Lo and Chu LLC, Leong Man Wai, a non-constituency MP for the Progress Singapore Party, and Wendy Lo, leader of the PSP's Women's Wing and also an intellectual property lawyer. Unfortunately, Hazel Poa is ill and is unable to join us this evening, and we wish her a speedy recovery. Now, as all of you know, the Foreign Interference Bracket Countermeasures Close Bracket Bill, or FICA, was tabled in Parliament just over two weeks ago, and we assume that the PAP government intends to pass this law on the coming Monday, uh, 4th of October. Now, this is a massive 249-page bill. It's, it's a small book, really, and it's being rushed through Parliament with unseemly haste. Consequently, there's been a lot of public confusion about this bill, and so we've put together this public forum for you to talk to a lawyer who has studied the bill and to two politicians who are um, in, represented in Parliament and who will be addressing this bill from their perspective. And we invite you to start putting your questions into the chat where our producer will pick out your questions and pass them along to our panellists to answer. Feel free also to discuss between yourselves in the chat on YouTube and Facebook, but we do request that you be kind and respectful in your comments. Remember, we are all living through very difficult and stressful times. Now, a lot of the commentary about this uh, bill has been published in the last week, and it talks about the significant problems with the bill. And so I will begin by summarizing uh, the main issues before we go to our panelists. So the main issues that have been highlighted about this bill um, include, first, that the bill doesn't actually make much sense in how it approaches the problem of foreign intervention, because in other countries which try and deal with foreign intervention, the laws logically focus on the people with the power to actually change or influence the country, like elected politicians, right? And so these laws increase transparency and increase public oversight of these politicians. With FICA, on the other hand, the assumption is reversed that it is private citizens, people who don't hold any power, who are the ones that need to be monitored, while the government, which holds all the power over the country, must be protected from private citizens. Now, second... FICA compounds this by instead massively increasing the power of one man, Minister of Home Affairs and Law, Keishan Mugam, with no meaningful oversight preventing him from abusing these new powers. What are these new powers? Well, the law actually has three essential avenues of attack to stop foreign interference. The first is that part two, which criminalizes foreign interference, but the definitions that it uses are so broad that it is virtually impossible to electronically communicate with a non-Singaporean citizen without then being in breach of the law. So whether you're a business person, politician, activist, journalist, or academic, you can almost certainly interact with non-Singaporeans in um, legitimate ways that nonetheless could be 
considered as violating and could lead to you to be prosecuted under this law. The second avenue of attack for this law is that um, it gives the Minister of Home Affairs wide-ranging powers to issue a whole bunch of directions, like POFMA, directions which do things like demand information, demand your private information, disable your access to social media, to internet services, stop the publication of information, all which can be done without any proof that you've actually done anything wrong. Likewise, the minister can declare websites like New Narrative as proscribed online locations, which uh, then make it illegal for Singaporeans to operate this site, for Singaporeans to support the site, or to place advertising on the site, among other things, purely, and I stress this, on suspicion of foreign interference. And the third avenue of attack is uh, part four, which gives the Minister for Home Affairs the power to arbitrarily, arbitrarily designate any person or entity as politically significant, thus placing them under rigorous scrutiny. And he can even force you to stop associating with a particular foreigner. So the law even admits that this actually may restrict your freedom of association. And the implication of this is that they actually want Singaporeans to become politically insignificant for, you know, for whatever end. And of course, to top it all off, if you appeal against any of this, first you must comply and then you can appeal. So effectively, you're treated as guilty before you prove you're innocent. Then once you appeal, you have to appeal first to Mr. Shamugam. And then if he turns your appeal down, then you have to appeal to a secret tribunal run by the Ministry of Home Affairs. And these tribunals don't actually need to be all judges, just one judge. And they can summarily dismiss your appeal without your participation, without even asking the minister to defend himself. And even more unfair, the minister can defend, uh, sorry, can refuse to provide information to the tribunal on various grounds like national security, while demanding that you provide extra information to provide to prove that your appeal is is frivolous or vexatious. So there is no meaningful oversight because these um, you can only appeal to the courts on procedural grounds and the courts can't rule on the merits of the case. So the brutal logic of this law um, is really that if a minister, the minister for home affairs, can look into any transaction, peer into anyone's electronic life, or unilaterally block any website or delete any online information published, he can effectively stop foreign intervention. The same way dropping a nuclear bomb on a person will cure that person of any illness. But who watches the watchmen? And this is a central issue to this proposed law, that the potential for abuse is massive, and this law will turn Shamugam into the most powerful man in Singapore. And of course, the PAP's track record suggests that foreign interference will be used as a pretext to restrict all rights and target independent media activists and opposition. Okay, so questions are now coming in, so please do post your questions, um, and uh, we'll go to our panelists. Um, so, enough from me. We're going to start with a round of questions and comments from our uh, panelists, uh, starting with Carol. Carol, so you've studied this law, you're a lawyer. What's your opinion about the law? So, PJ offered uh, three areas of the bill to look at, and I'll just uh, give brief comments on each of those areas. For the first one, you mentioned about how there are offences uh, for acting on behalf of a foreign principal. There are offences uh, for engaging uh, in certain covert activity or activity involving deception on behalf of a foreign principal. Um, and this 
foreign interference uh, can be can become an offense if one person is one person has the knowledge or has reason to believe um, that such material or information that's being published in Singapore is likely to be prejudicial to the security of Singapore, prejudicial to important aspects of Singapore like public health, uh, friendly relations of Singapore with other countries, incite feelings of enmity, diminish public confidence of the government, and also importantly, um, if the activity is or is likely to be directed towards a political end in Singapore. And uh, you will notice that this phrase, the activity being directed towards a political end in Singapore, it is very uh, broad. And um, indeed, the definition in the act uh, in the bill is also very broad. That directed towards a political end in Singapore can mean that it promotes the interests of a certain political party, it influences Singapore governmental decisions, influences proceedings in parliament, uh, which you can sort of think of as electoral democratic processes, governmental processes. Uh, so in a way, they are important to have uh, as our own. But the thing is that political end in Singapore also includes matters of seeking to uh, influence matters of public controversy and also uh, influencing political views. So it seems as though it would also affect discussions between Singaporeans and foreigners of political issues in Singapore. And um, you would think that in the normal course of things these days, you will have a lot of engagement with foreigners and you will share ideas. So um, that's something that uh, the this offenses provisions might potentially cover. Um, and um, the way that covert is defined in the bill uh, is that what X are lacking in transparency can also be defined as covert. So to not fall afoul of um, being involved in covert activity, uh, it's important to be transparent about the acts that you do. Um, and the next area that PJ talked about is about directions that ministers can give. So uh, these are for directions against electronic communications activity that a person might engage in. Um, and the minister can, if the minister suspects that the activity is being undertaken on behalf of a foreign principal, uh, can implement a direction to ask for the communication to be stopped. So then you would have to remove, let's say, a Facebook post. Um, there could also be a mass carry direction, which means that you must indicate a certain message on the post um, that there is some uh, foreign principal uh, involved in the post. It could also involve a disabling of accounts uh, as well as access to the social media platform or online platform. Now, um, to appeal these directions, you have to go through the minister and then it goes to a reviewing tribunal. But the thing is that because there are considerations of national security or public interest uh, involved in the decision-making of the minister, uh, there is actually a provision in the bill um, that uh, enables the reviewing tribunal um, to not disclose all the information to the person who is challenging the direction. Uh, so in that sense, um, the person challenging the direction might not have all the information to do the appeal. Um, and uh, this is on accounts that, you know, certain information that's released might be against public interest or against national security. Um, and also, um, aside from this bill, there is also a public interest privilege uh, in communications between public officials. 
so uh, th there is a difficulty in securing certain information. On the other hand, though, the person who challenges the direction may have to make disclosures uh, about the uh, um, possibly about the post that the person made. Um, it's not so clear yet what kind of disclosures this person has to make, but the bill does say that the tribunal can require this person to make disclosures. Uh, but the rules only come later when the law is implemented and the ministry can then make something called subsidiary legislation, which are regu regulations, but are, they are also laws. So um, they can mandate that the person challenging the decision will have to make certain disclosures. So in challenging the decision, you might actually have to give more information about uh, your activities with the foreign principal. Um, and uh, another point to raise at this point is that Foreign principles are defined very broadly, so they include any foreigner, any foreign entity. Um, and this is actually different um, from a very similar law in Australia, uh, which also, Australia, uh, a couple years back, implemented foreign interference offences. And I think they might be one of the, uh, the only or one of the only countries to do it. Um, but for them, foreign principles, are government relate, foreign government related entities or foreign government-related individuals. So the foreign government actually has to exercise total or substantial control over that foreign uh, individual. Uh, oh, sorry, that individual. Um, so uh, in that sense, uh, it is really much more targeted at foreign governments trying to influence the Australian activities. Uh, but in the, the case of this bill, um, although uh, the MHA has said that it's targeted at hostile information campaigns. The language of the bill does open up um, to cover a lot of activity uh, that involves these foreigners. Um, so for people or for organizations like NGOs that have a lot of interactions with foreigners, uh, that's something to take care of. And also um, this relates to the third area, which is on politically significant persons. Um, previously under the Political Donations Act, Political Donations Act would cover political associations, uh, which are political uh, parties, um, and also associations that have a, the, their main purpose as the politics of Singapore. Uh, but I think the definition in this current bill opens it up much wider to include uh, people who have activity that are directed towards a political end. Uh, so this involves a lot of uh, activities which also uh, are related to issues of public importance, public controversy. Uh, so really, who gets designated a politically significant person, um, that is a very open issue um, and um, it gives the minister a lot of discretion to do so. Those are the comments I have for now and looking forward to all your questions. Thanks, Carol. One quick question from the chat, just pretty factual. Can a foreigner be designated a politically significant person? I believe it's meant to designate locals, but I don't think the language of the bill precludes that. Right. Okay. Um, and another question that's coming very quickly. If I send a WhatsApp to a foreigner, because it's an encrypted platform, is that sufficient to meet the covert or deception clause of the, of the you know offense of section 17 or 18 hmm. so you actually have to be um, undertaking activity on behalf of the foreigner which involves some form of co collaboration so right those are the other um, clauses I mean this person is just asking about that fourth clause what is the level for trick what is considered covert 
is merely yeah. using an encrypted platform covert or is it you know is there a higher bar mm. so if we look at the explanatory part of this bill um it says it gives an example where um a person is trying to deliberately move to an encrypted platform in order to make their messages um more hidden or more covert uh, so if WhatsApp is being used, um, that might not be such a covert move in that there was no deliberate move because WhatsApp is a very common platform. So um, in that sense, that, that fact alone will be very difficult to say that the activity was covert. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's turn to... Uh, um, so Manwai, I understand you're carrying a Hi. petition to Parliament. Um, could you tell us more about that and about the PSP's position on this on this bill? Okay, thank you. Um, yes, this morning I submitted a petition on behalf of some civil organizations. Uh, PSP believe that uh, as parliamentarians, we should also help the, the uh, views and opinions of the public uh, to be reflected in parliament. Uh, but of course, not all the time uh, we can submit petition, but this is a very uh, uh, important bill. And so the first thing uh, we, uh, uh, PSP is going to approach this from uh, three areas. Uh, one is why the bill is rushed through parliament. And this essentially is also the basic uh, uh, request for the petition that has been submitted in parliament today. Uh, why? Uh, the, the bill was uh, uh, tabled on 13 September and next Monday, uh, this coming Monday, it is likely to be debated in Parliament already. So after the, uh, the second reading is this Monday and then after that, very likely, the third reading will also go through the Parliament at the same time and, th and then the bill becomes, uh, you know, law uh, after, after Monday. So it is only a lapse of uh, three weeks very little time, uh, and uh, even the parliamentarians uh, do not have enough time to actually look at the bill and uh, consult the experts. What we think is that the bill should have a proper public consultation process and then also refer to a parliamentary select committee. These are the two main things that the petition submitted this morning uh, requested the, the government and the parliament to do that. So we think that there should be respect for the deal legislative process and not rush through the bill. The second area that PSP is uh, concerned about is also that this is a very uh, critical time for Singapore. Uh, the COVID situation has worsened so much and the, the jobs and livelihood problems of Singaporeans is also worsening. So this is really not the right time to, uh, uh, to table such an important bill. There should be enough time for Singaporeans to sit back and think through the implications of the bill before we pass such an important bill. And over the years, the governments have enough tools and enough budgets, resources to actually tackle the uh, uh, national security uh, problems of Singapore. And there's no really immediate threat to our security. So actually, we can afford to have some more time to, uh, to deliberate and to consider the bill. So this is a second area that uh, PSP uh, has doubts about. And of course, the third area is that this bill, although we are not 
going to uh, talk about the pros and cons so much because we are asking them, that means the government, to respect the due process of legislation, legislation first. But nevertheless, looking into the details of the legislation, uh, the, the bill, and just now Carol has shared with us, uh, uh, Carol and PJ has shared with us some of the essential points of this bill. And, and we found that it is totally against the founding principles of uh, Progress Singapore Party, PSP, our party. The, our founding principles are transparency, accountability, and independence. So if a minister has the power to actually implicate somebody by just suspecting without any evidence, what kind of transparency are we talking about? In fact, what kind of justice are we talking about? What kind of rule of law we are talking about? Secondly, and when the minister can exercise still can exercise that kind of power and the only check on him is not a court but actually a tribunal and the tribunal is actually appointed by him so what kind of accountability are you talking about and thirdly lastly of course in the whole process the court is being left out of the whole process they are able to come in only on procedural issues but the, their position is basically substituted by the tribunal so the whole separation of powers, uh, principles behind democracy, you know, independence of one branch of government vis-a-vis -vis the other branch, the whole principle is being, in a way, thrown away in this, uh, this uh, uh, bill that's coming to us. So PSP found that the substance of the bill really is against the founding principles of our party. That's why our, our party will be uh, uh, doing what we can in Parliament on Monday uh, to actually uh, delay the bill, to ask the government to allow more time, more deliberation, uh, both in the public and also in the select committee in Parliament, so that we can arrive at a, a solution that will enhance our national security further and also not to intrude into the privacy of our Singaporean citizens. So, PJ, that's what uh, uh, we have for the moment, and we look forward to questions uh, from the from the audience. Yeah. Okay, there's just one quick question. Well, no, I, I don't know if it's that quick, but uh, one person in the chat asked if um, what the opposition as a whole are doing uh, about the law and to raise awareness and oppose. And I know the Workers' Party has tabled amendments. Uh, does the PSP uh, intend to table amendments, support the Workers' Party amendments? Or are you working with the Workers' Party or any other parties in order to um, address this law? Okay, the amendment submitted by uh, uh, Workers' Party is, uh, is their own effort. Okay, it, there's no deliberation between uh, uh, their party and our party. But we are in, uh, of course, we are in uh, constant uh, contact with one another. The approach adopted by PSP, Progress Singapore Party, is to actually uh, first tell the government and to respect the process first. You know, there's a whole legislative process that we should allow more public uh, consultation and also to uh, go through a select committee and all that. So that's our main focus at the moment. We are not, we don't intend uh, to submit any amendments. And uh, we are also in touch uh, with the other uh, parties uh, uh, they are in general uh, against uh, the bill, uh, but uh, the other parties have not also submitted uh, any amendments. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. 
Uh, Wendy, let's let's turn to you. I mean, you're both a lawyer and a politician. Um, we have a question here from the chat. Is it accurate to say the chances of success of challenging this legislation as unconstitutional is remote? So, both from a political and a legal point of view, um, you know, what can we actually do? Um, so, I think if we look at the Constitution of Singapore, which is under Article 14, um, and that deals with the right of every citizen of Singapore to his or her free right of uh, freedom of speech. Um, but that's subject to the caveat under Provision 2 and 3. And under Provision 2, it deals with um, the limits which are set by law. And this is where laws may be passed to set such restrictions as is considered necessary or expedient in the interest of the security of Singapore or any part thereof in considering friendly relationships with other countries, public order or morality, and restrictions that are designed to protect the privileges of parliament or to provide against contempt of court, defamation or incitement of any offence. So generally, the provisions are quite wide. And uh, even within the constitution itself, it does provide for exceptions which may be passed through legislation as a curtail to the general right of freedom of speech. So if you look at FICA um, very broadly, there are certain provisions that do fall in line with the constitution. But I do agree with what Carol has highlighted earlier that some of the definitions do appear to be overly broad. And for these provisions which are overly broad and in particular considering definitions of whether public interest directed towards a political end. And with that political end being views or matters that become the subject of political debate in Singapore, that seems to go beyond the ambit uh, potentially of what may be constituted as security in the interest of Singapore or considerations of friendly nations or uh, with other countries or any such other provisions that set out under the constitution. So with that, um, I think now that there's an opportunity for debate, and as Manwai has rightfully put that, we should take the time to deliberate on whether the current bill as drafted would fall in line with the constitution, which is the overriding legislation of the country. And we should be careful to make sure that the bill, the bill if it's eventually passed, uh, will not be viewed as unconstitutional. Okay, so a sort of follow-up question from the audience for both the politicians asking, so how do we um, push the government to consider more time or to give more time to deliberate the bill, right, uh, given that it's rushed? So what helps? Do petitions help? Uh, writing to your MP, what would you recommend for our, um, you know, for, for Singaporeans who want more time? Mm, I think, uh, first of all, really, it's public opinion, uh, the reaction uh, from the public. Uh, like, for example, recently, uh, when we debated uh, uh, on jobs and livelihood, SECA, uh, there was a lot more um, uh, responses and reaction from the ground. So you can see that the government also came out with uh, uh, various uh, uh, responses, including a ministerial statements and all that. So the whole process was actually dragged through uh, many months instead of just immediately uh, debated in parliament. Yeah? So I think the, if the Singaporeans uh, come forward and express their, uh, their desire uh, to have 
more consultation, longer period of consultation, and also for it to be subject to the select committee of experts uh, that they can call the experts and uh, uh, solicit more opinions before we arrive at a conclusion. I think that would put uh, uh, some uh, 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 pressure on the government to actually consider that. So, but if the uh, uh, bill is uh, going through on Monday, uh, the, what uh, PSP will be doing in Parliament, uh, myself, uh, Hazel and myself, we will also be arguing um, with all, uh, you know, whatever we can, to say that the process should be reconsidered and, uh, and, uh, um, and so that, you know, uh, the, the Singaporeans will be able to uh, uh, come to terms with it. So I think that is the main thing, uh, the, the support from the Singaporeans. And as parliamentarians, we will do our best uh, in, the, in the parliament. Yeah. Uh, there, there is another question whether you think, uh, can the Workers' Party and the PSP come together with other opposition parties to form a united front on this? Do you think okay. it's, that's, that's possible? I think uh, uh, we're always uh, basically aligned. Okay? We, more or less, we are aligned. Um, although the Workers' Party has uh, uh, submitted the amendments, but I think uh, um, the, the, and the amendments are very important because they address two of the most important areas uh, that we objected to the, to the bill, right? One is the lack of a judicial review. So they basically substituted the judicial review with high court. And then not just uh, uh, minister suspicion, but also with evidence, you know? So they have, uh, they have uh, tabled some important amendments. And, uh, uh, and I think there's very li little likelihood that the government will actually accept the amendments. Uh. So in a way, um, uh, they are attacking the, uh, the bill from, uh, from one angle, and we are uh, asking the government to delay the bill. So in a, in a way, our, our different actions are still aligned. I think in the end, if, if the government is going to try to push through the bill in the current form, I think I can't be 100% sure. I can't speak for Workers' Party, but I think all 12 of us will be voting against it. Okay, well, thank you. So we have a, a series of questions about the law itself and the consequences. So one technical question first, I think mainly for Carol, can the mere usage of VPN services, that's virtual private networks, give justification uh, for the preparation of covert operations under section 19, right? Which is the section which criminalizes planning to or preparing to engage in foreign interference. So just by using a VPN service, would that trigger the, the covert uh, or deception clause? So um, I think uh, when you are charged with a crime, it is up to the discretion of the prosecutor whether to charge you and whether it's in the public interest to do so, right? So I think this would involve a consideration of the activity that you're doing and all that. But I do think that if you use VPN services, that can be construed as an action uh, in which you are trying to be covert because uh, VPN makes it harder to track your actions, uh, to track the source of your computer, for example. So um, it could be construed in that way, actually. We also had a, a question about the arrestable and non-bailable because uh, this law, the offence is arrestable and non-bailable. So does that mean if you are arrested under this law, you have to sit in jail the whole time while your lawyer is trying to prepare you and you're charged, you know, 
um, lawyers trying to prepare you, pre prepare your defense to prove your innocence? Mm. Uh, that would be the case if you don't get bail, yes. So you will be. But it's non bail, right? Mm. So you can't get bailed. Yeah, if it's non bailable, yes. You right. can't. Okay. So, so yeah, I think so Ken did a video earlier today where mm -hmm. he said you could end up sitting in jail for, for years waiting for your court case. With, mm, is yeah, that an so, accurate? Um, yes, yeah, so that depends on how fast investigations go um, and how fast they charge you. Uh, I mean, from the moment of arrest, uh, they can keep you in remand, right? So that actually happens to a number of drug offenders uh, who take very long um, to have their investigations completed because... Um, they need to try to source for other people involved in the drug operations or to um, check the phones of the people, get a complete forensic reports, try to decode certain secret messages, for example. So if the investigations take a long time, um, then yes, uh, the remand period could be very long. Uh, and then there'll be time taken for the trial as well. It might not just happen in one tranche, but in a few tranches. Okay. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, that is the reality. Right. Um, I just wanted to take this moment to uh, be more specific about my answer to the earlier question about whether uh, politically significant persons can be foreigners also. So actually, um, there is a more specific definition for that uh, in the bill. And um, politically significant persons, uh, they can be um, citizens of Singapore, whether they are resident in Singapore or not, or they can be any foreigner in Singapore. Uh, so basically, the jurisdiction is exercised on Singapore citizens and foreigners in Singapore. Uh, and presumably entities as well. So Singapore registered, because uh, there's also politically significant entity. So those yes. are the same? Yes, right. that's for the entities. So if, if you're a foreign, uh, say 51% owned, because, you know, like something like 64% um, of the nominal value added to our GDP last year came from companies which had at least 51% foreign ownership and they operate in Singapore. Are they? Is it possible to designate those companies as politically significant entities? It's possible um, because the definition in the bill says uh, you just have to be a body corporate that's registered under the Companies Act. So presumably they will have some form of registration to operate in Singapore. Um, I think the, the broader principle is that a country has jurisdiction over the people and the entities in its territory and also right. its citizens abroad. Got it. Okay. So, um, question here from the audience. What are the biggest risks if the judiciary is bypassed and the Ministry of Home Affairs is given full power? And I guess question for all three of you here, what do you consider the biggest risks? Maybe we can start with you, Wendy. Um, I think it comes back to the principle of own self, check own self, right? Because essentially you have um, the ministry which are giving out certain directions and um, there is going to be a question of the independence of that review tribunal if it's not subjected to a higher authority, which is the judiciary, to review its decisions so I think at the end of the day, if the recourse for appeal is only limited to procedural irregularities, then I think there will always be questions raised as to whether or not um, there is a fair finding on the substantive merits of the decision to which are issued. Um, and I think this would also have long-term implications 
especially where if you're looking at politically significant persons, uh, which incidentally is acronymed as PSPs, um, hopefully that's not an overt reference to our political party. But then at the end of the day, uh, with that very wide discretion that's given to the ministry and closer election, then there is a question of whether those decisions, even if rightly issued, um, actually can get the confidence of the public that they have been imposed with a measure of fairness and equality in light of the circumstances. So I think the danger of removing the judiciary as a counter-check and balance is dangerous not only from the balance of powers, as Manwai has rightfully put forward, but also on the greater political implications of what it means for the ministries and the authorities when it calls for the imposition of these directives at times where your electorates are going to make decisions about how you're imposing those powers. So I think um, it comes back to our point that there are wider implications that should be carefully reviewed and it would be actually unwise for parties, not even political parties, civil societies and general Singaporeans to really consider what would be the long-term repercussions if such a broad-ranging bill is forcefully pushed through in a very short time. Um, Manway, Carol, would either of you like to add anything? Mm, whichever. So actually, um, uh, the, the bill does uh, limit uh, judicial review and it talks about how uh, there, there's a clause in it uh, about how, you know, uh, the decisions of the minister are not to be challenged uh, unless it's a procedural fault um, in the following of the procedures in the bill. Um, that, that is what we call uh, an ouster clause in law. And although um, it may seem at first glance that the powers of the court to review um, the decisions of the minister are indeed limited in that way. Um, the actual case might not be uh, that way because um, the court has inherent powers uh, to ju judicially review um, and there are certain grounds that it can review on um, and, and you know, uh, even if the law is worded this way in the bill, uh, the powers of the court cannot be taken away. So actually, um, there are other grounds that the court may potentially be able to review the directions of the minister on. Um, such as illegality, let's say if the minister acts beyond its powers, uh, maybe that um, uh, the, the minister issued a direction on the basis that it, it wanted to target a certain uh, online activity and then it also wanted to target similar uh, posts. But um, this similar posts, uh, maybe the minister covered it too broadly. So then... Um, the minister wouldn't be exercising its powers in terms of targeting the post as well as similar posts in issuing the direction. Uh, that could be one way of looking at it, that the minister uh, exercised its powers too broadly than the, the law allows. Uh, another one is uh, irrationality, that the minister considered uh, certain information wrongly when deciding whether or not to issue the direction. Uh, for example, um, the... Um, minister uh, issued the direction on a user that was not even involved in issuing the direct uh, involved in putting out the posts, for example. So then that would be irrational because that user had no connection with uh, the the post being put out. Uh, so those could be certain ways to look at it. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, another one could be legitimate expectations. Uh, for example, if the minister had given certain statements uh, with regards to whether or not the minister will issue the direction, uh, what constitutes um, behaviour that will be covered under the direction, um, and the user or the social media platform tried to act uh, in reliance on what the minister had said, and then uh, eventually was still given a direction. So that could be something that went against the, the issuance of the direction could be construed as going against uh, what the minister it initially gave a certain legitimate expectation of. Uh, so that's one way that could be challenged as well. But of course, um, these are challenges that the person who's been issued with the direction will have to be willing to take. And, you know, it involves uh, quite an arduous process also to try to challenge on these grounds. So just to clarify, Carol, if I were to hire your company to challenge these grounds, what is the actual cost we're looking at to, to challenge, uh, to file a judicial review or some sort of challenge in terms of time and money and also court fees, yes. right? Mm. Uh, I think there is a certain public interest element to it. Uh, so maybe not that much as you would imagine. Um, but I think in terms of time, uh, a lot of preparation goes into a hearing. So... Uh, yeah, I would say uh, easily it would take us uh, many hours, I think 100 hours. Mm, and, and there's court fees, right? Those are non-negotiable. Yes. Oh, uh, I mean, this is a public interest <laughs> case. So, okay. Yeah, I think they would... Oh, you mean um, uh, filing no, your fees? fees but the filing fees, uh, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, so yes, the person who's been issued the direction would be... Uh, would would have to pay those fees up front and uh, it's hard to get it back because this is against the government. So I think uh, you can't really get costs for this kind of cases. Do you do you have an idea what they are? Like in are they in thousands or the tens of thousands? Mm, so um you would file a case to the high court because this is a judicial review case. Uh yeah, high court fees are more expensive than uh <laughs> state court fees. So I would imagine that um it could come up to a few thousands at least. Okay. Okay. Thanks. There's a direct response in the comments uh, from, from Terry, actually, who says, POFMA shows us that such considerations cannot be considered as protection against abuse of the powers of the law. And I think he's responding to a point you were making earlier. So what about the precedent set by POFMA about these directions? Does that actually tell us anything? Uh, Carol? Oh, me? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was responding to you. Party's question. Yes. <laughs> so I uh, think yeah. um, we've seen POFMA used in a variety of ways, um, although it's been targeted uh, in certain situations, for example, uh, anti-COVID uh, news or panic-inducing news has also been targeted um, at certain persons in the event of elections. Uh, so yeah, it's really uh, can, can be used in a variety of ways, I would think. And um, sometimes when the government um, deems something a false statement of fact, uh, it could be the way certain things are framed, right, uh, also. So uh, I, I would think that there is scope for a broad implication for this uh, bill. Okay. Um, so there's a, a new question here. Oh, sorry, Manwai, did you want to answer this last question about um, okay. the, the uh, biggest risks if the judiciary is bypassed? Mm, 
Okay, actually, the judicial 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 review. Uh, this is something that uh, by right should never be compromised. Uh, okay, um, but uh, I mean, in the case of our country, um, the executive branch or the uh, you know the 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 party that is uh, controlling the executive branch also have a super majority in the legislative branch. So uh, we can't stop, you know, some of these things from happening. When you look at the laws, actually, you ask me, uh, I'm a layman, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that in terms of the judicial review, for example, uh, it is already taken out in the, uh, no, actually it's not taken out. Um, uh, we have ISA already, right, which you can arrest somebody, you know, uh, and then maybe have a judicial review later and all that. So what I'm trying to say is that the executive branch already have quite extra, extra, extraordinary power to actually arrest the suspects who are a threat to the national security. And in terms on the, uh, of the online uh, uh, thing, you know, uh, we have got POFMA already. So we really don't understand why there's a need to further uh, 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 tighten the stranglehold on the Singaporeans with this uh, FICA bill. So the and and furthermore, uh, this judicial review is being totally uh, removed. You know, uh, so this is really kind of the ultimate, uh, You know that the, the the government is able to now actually really take out all the check and balances, and so with that, really, um, um, you know, it will increases the power of the uh, executive. And uh, basically, like some people say, Singapore uh, is, is a system of rule by law and not rule of law. Because the executive with their uh, super majority in the legislature, they are always able to come up with laws to restrict the, uh, the, the actions of the citizens further. Okay, so that is the, what the, some of the uh, uh, experts in the market has lamented. You know? So that's the system. So with this FICA bill, it's likely that that will be further enhanced. And so with that, really, you know, there'll be uh, more restrictions and there will also be, the fear factor will also be heightened that more Singaporeans will feel a bit uh, uh, constrained, uh, fewer people want to speak up and all that. I think if this law is passed, basically, I think we have developed some uh, a momentum in the democratic process of our country if this law is uh, implemented, I think it will set back the uh, uh, the democratic process by another five to ten years. I think I think the, the bottom line is that. Thanks, thanks, Munmai. So there's a series of questions now about examples um, and and clarifying, you know, uh, various scenarios. Mm. Um, and I guess maybe I can start with the most obvious one because new narrative is our holding company is registered in the UK and we're headquartered in KL even though I'm Singaporean. So would the lawyers like to comment, is what we're doing here illegal? Because these are encrypted uh, streams, but then they're publicly available. Would this be considered illegal under FICA? Um, so I think uh, it's a matter of prosecutorial discretion, like I said. It depends on what they think um, is in the public interest to charge based on what the offence sets out. Um, I, I think for the directions um, which target online communications activity, which ask you to stop posting something or to carry a certain message together with the post, for those, um, you might want to consider the risk, but maybe you don't have to be so worried because um, 
it's only an offense if you don't comply and you can always comply and try to work out a problem later. But I think what you should be upfront more worried about is the um, offenses or clandestine uh, foreign interference by electronic communications activities. So then um, those would indeed uh, be uh, what you have to worry about in terms of whether your activity is covert or involves deception. Um, and I think uh, you can try to be more transparent um, in order to avoid uh, falling afoul of that. So then um, there will be less reason in the prosecutions uh, or, or the police's uh, investigation uh, investigations to actually deem that you were acting covertly. Um, for example, if you are holding a private webinar with overseas NGOs, um, uh, I think uh, there is some covert nature in that sense, in the sense that you are hosting it privately. Um, but if your collaboration is something that uh, is more open, for example, uh, you do say that you from time to time meet these NGOs um, and you post an update about it. Uh, after or before, um, even without reve revealing too many details because um, understandably you want to keep some of those details private. Um, but I think if you try to reveal it in some ways, um, that could tilt the analysis in your favour. And uh, I think that's what you want to try to avoid. Um, what about religious organisations? There's been a question, another question here because a lot of churches obviously are very global nowadays. Uh, a lot of um, religion religions are well. Religions are by definition, you know, um, not state movements. Um, so, would those um, run afoul of the law? So, I think for religions, um, they might be subject to other laws. For example, under the Societies Act or the Charities Act, um, and I'm not very familiar with those uh, legislation. But I think that you need to have a, a certain number of officers. Uh, or, or committee members who are Singaporean. And I think uh, for societies, all members must be Singaporean or something like that. So um, I, I think uh, the provisions uh, for preventing foreign interference in religious organizations might already be quite strong. Mm. Right. So um, I, I think that's why this bill doesn't specifically look at uh, religious organizations, but uh, entities and individuals as a whole. So what about a scenario which, uh, you know, I've, I've suggested may be possible where Shamugam suspects another politician of foreign interference and demands their personal information and then uses what he's learned from that demand to then, and potentially, we're saying potentially, I'm not implying that Mr. Shamugam is in any way corrupt or will abuse power, but is that actually theoretically possible that he could go to Manwai and say, hey, Manwai, I noticed that uh, this looks kind of sketchy. It would be terrible if it came out, you know, whatever it is. It's totally legitimate, but actually he, he then uses this information to say that Manwai, you should then vote, you know, in favour of this government bill that's coming up. Is that, is that theoretically possible? And would we be able to detect this scenario if it happened? As in to... To use the person's information for an ulterior purpose. Yeah, because there's so many clauses about the law saying you, he doesn't have to disclose what he's doing with the information or, you know, or even that I think if I remember like under the technical assistance direction, he can demand information from you, but you can't disclose what you learn 
because of that demand, right? The things that happen as a result of that demand. So um, I argued in my op-ed that he could actually use that use information gained from investigating um, other politicians or other people with influence and power. Theoretically, he could abuse that information, and we wouldn't know. Mm, yeah, so I think, um, you know, when, when you try to challenge a minister's exercise of their powers, there's always this challenge of how much do you know in order to um, be able to, to, to challenge that. And um, I think someone in the chat also asked, uh, uh, does this lady, I, I presume it's me, uh, mean that uh, if the minister uses the directions uh, for an ulterior motive, uh, the minister can be challenged? Um, I think... Um, it is definitely very difficult to get information about motives. So um, this will only come up if you have some uh, correspondence or certain documents, uh, let's say public statements that the minister has made to prove that um, there were indeed such different considerations, you see. Yeah, in, in which case uh, you would be able to try to um, launch a court case, uh, maybe by seeking a declaration that the powers were not exercised properly or to um, quash the directions. Right, right. But yeah, it, that sounds like a real, really difficult, given that we wouldn't even know if he did it in the first place. Okay, um, let's, let's come back to the politicians. Thanks, Carol. Um, and so someone asked, how may we help to gather more ground support for opposition against this bill? So politicians, what would you like people to do? How would you like people to help you? How do we rally support? against this bill, either to increase the amount of time, which is what you're proposing, to amend it, which is what the Workers' Party is proposing, or just to get rid of this bill entirely, which is what a lot of civil society is proposing? Um, I think for people to genuinely care about the implications of this bill, um, they probably need to see the implications of this draft bill and the link to some of the issues that they might be immediately concerned with. So. If we recall in the immediate outbreak of COVID and how that has impacted on um, the foreign workers who are living in dormitories, that has actually found a deep resonance amongst many fellow Singaporeans about the treatment of um, foreign, foreign workers in Singapore. So with the implementation of this bill and with some of the activities which could be circumvented because, like I said earlier, um, what does constitute political ends and political means are very, very broadly defined. So if that is going to limit the research work and the kind of groundwork and um, challenges that NGOs and civil societies can raise on these issues which are important to Singaporeans, I think that's one way for them to realise uh, that the limits which are going to be withdrawn from them would be severe insofar as it's going to limit the work of civil societies. So I think that's probably one area we can further look into, quite apart from the petitions and the online discussions, which are already ongoing on, on a great momentum. Uh, PJ? Yeah, go ahead, Manway. Yeah, okay. Um, one thing to, to, I want to stress is that as responsible politicians, uh, our role is to really inform the public, inform the Singaporeans of what is uh, happening with facts and information. We also do not want to incite or instigate, you know, uh, uh, people to rise to action, you know, and that kind of thing. But after today's uh, uh, seminar and also with the uh, various uh, quality information that has already come out into the into the social media and into the mass media. 
uh, I hope Singaporeans can understand the implication of this bill and more will speak up, more will respond to the post and the uh, uh, discussion in the social media for the remaining few days approaching uh, Parliament so that uh, before we reach, uh, uh, before we uh, uh, do the debate in Parliament on Monday, we have a very strong uh, base of Singaporean support uh, behind us and uh, uh, we can basically, uh, uh, you know, talk with, uh, with more confidence uh, uh, in Parliament uh, on Monday. So I think that's it. But of course, we, we don't want to sound that uh, we are instigating or inciting, you know, uh, uh, all these things, okay. So, but you know, I think um, Singaporeans should all uh, start to take interest and uh, understand the bill more and uh, and um, uh, decide for themselves. Yeah. Okay, but let's 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 be a bit more specific. Give, give give people one thing they can do. What you know, if someone someone's watching this right now, they're like, oh my god, this law is terrible. Give them one thing that they can do right now to. Um, push back against this bill. Um, maybe to uh, to uh, uh, send the you know uh, some of the quality uh, uh, write up on the on the bill uh, to more friends and family members, uh, you know to to widen the, the the circulation so that there's a higher level of awareness. Uh. And then over the next few days, maybe uh, whenever there are new posts in the social media and all that, participate in them and uh, give comments. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think I think that's 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 a good thing. Uh, definitely, I think there was a survey after the last election that um, you know the more uh, you had read political articles, taken part in petitions, answered surveys, um, attended political uh, seminars on political issues, the more likely you were to actually be uh, participating in, in in political debate and to vote opposition as well. So actually, I think. Um, that's you know sending raising awareness and debating with your with your friends is a good suggestion yeah and uh, one more thing pj uh, yeah. for example psp is trying very hard and uh, uh, we'll be posting uh, a, chi a chinese translation of uh, a, a good piece written by a senior lawyer for example uh, in chinese we have translated it so and uh, we are trying to translate in other languages too so maybe singaporeans can help to disseminate the translated script uh, to the other Singaporeans as well, those who do not read uh, English uh, well, you know, and uh, so that they, can, they got the information. Yeah. So the Ch Chinese uh, translation of that article is going to be on my Facebook and will be on the party's Facebook uh, quite soon. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So now we have a series of questions about um, the ISA and why we need this law when other instances of foreign intervention uh, like Huang Jing, Dixon Yeo were used, the ISA was used to banish someone or to detain them indefinitely. And we also have POFMA, of course. What does this law actually do in addition to those other laws, one of which already blocks information and the other enables you to physically arrest anyone you know, with no proof. And then, of course, all the other laws, Telecommunications Act and the Penal Code. What, what is special about this law that isn't already covered in the existing statutes? Maybe one of the lawyers, would, would you like to answer that? Um, I think one, of course, is this broad definition of 
you know, covert actions on behalf of foreign principles. And so that's extending the link, if you will, um, to any form of support or any form of activities that might be foreign linked. Um, two, I think it's also a deep dive into the aspect of the funding for your independent social media sites. Of course, there are some legislations which do already provide for some of these uh, limitations. But I think when you put up an entire legislation that's seemingly targeted towards um, limitation of foreign interference, I think that sort of gives it some level of legitimacy. So at the end of the day, I think it's a further ingress into the liberties of what a lot of civil society, independent media, and of course politicians, especially from the alternative camp, are trying to do collectively. Um, so I think at the end of the day, one of the questions I've posed during the last election campaign is when is enough enough, right? I mean, first of all, you have um, the Public Order Act, which already defines one person to be sufficient to constitute an assembly. Uh, and then there is the enactment of POFMA. And now potentially you are going to have an enactment of FICA. At the end of the day, I think one question, which I think it's more reflective, um, and probably this should be considered by the authorities in deciding whether or not they want to eventually enact, whether it's FICA or legislations of similar nature, that in trying to attract global talent, in trying to build Singapore as a financial and um, IT hub and intellectual hub, you are going to attract people who are going to be critical. And that's fundamental to any form of enterprise, any form of intellectual activity. And so if your legislation is going to be an enacted countermeasure to that, which you say is fundamental to your economy, right? And now that you are extending that balance to include even foreign entities and foreign individuals, then at the end of the day, where do you as a government that's trying to do its best for the people move forward? Because on the one hand, you want to draw in the activity with this global talent who are going to come with diversity of ideas diversity of sometimes political ideas as well, but generally they are going to be critical of your system. And that's essentially what you want because to be entrepreneurs, to be um, to be innovators, that is the prerequisite. You have to challenge the status quo. And if by law you are going to erode that and you're going to make people suspicious of whether or not they can continuously question the status quo, then I would say that at the policy making level, there are two inherently conflicting principles that I think they would first have to resolve uh, a matter of principle. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I can offer my thoughts on how I think the legislations are different. Um, for the ISA, it allows for detention without trial, right? So basically, um, a person can be detained uh, and it's meant to be more, um, according to the government, it's meant to, you know, prevent these persons from uh, posing a danger to society and also... Uh, it's meant to rehabilitate them back into society. Um, but I think um, where F uh, FICA bill differs is that it's meant to be more punitive, as you can see from the sections uh, 17 and 18 offences for um, foreign interference. The punishments are very high. It's uh, up to 7 and 14 years. So um, it's really meant to punish the person after the person goes through uh, the the courts, you know, and uh, is found guilty. Um, and uh, how FICA differs from POFMA um, is 
in terms of the directions, so um, I think the requirements in POFMA are much stricter uh, in the sense that POFMA directions can only be issued for false statements of fact um, and when the minister is of the public opinion, uh, of the opinion that it's in the public interest to issue the direction. Um, and of course, a false statement of fact is more of an objective uh, statement where you have to, um, where, where um, there has to be the requirement that a reasonable person uh, would deem that information false um, and it's not supported by facts. So um, in, in that sense, uh, it's harder to issue a direction um, in POFMA um, because under FICA, uh, what the minister has to do is to suspect that the activity is being undertaken on behalf of the foreign principal uh, and the material is published in Singapore and it's in the public interest to authorise the issuance of the direction. Um, but then uh, we've mentioned earlier also public interest is defined very broadly in the FICA bill. So that includes um, anything that could influence uh, Anything that could be directed towards a it is preju uh, prejudicial and directed towards a political end in Singapore, um, and that involves uh, influence of uh, political activities or publicly controversial activities and uh, issues in Singapore. So, um, um, the public interest consideration in the FICA bill is much broader, um, and therefore uh, the minister has more discretion to issue their stop communication direction. Uh, if I can pick up on on something uh, you said, Wendy, um, there's there's this huge contradiction where, on the one hand, the prime minister has said we need more foreign investment, but on the other hand, he says we don't want foreign funding. Then he says we want foreign participation in our society, but then on the other hand, he says we don't want foreign interference. So, as, as politicians, you know, how do you, how would you address this this contradiction? Uh, this this very clear contradiction from the PAP and what's your position? I know you've you've been in the headlines about um, you know issues regarding free trade, for example. But how where do how do we draw this line when it, what is foreign interference really and what is foreign participation? You know, um, I I think that's a very good question. And at the end of the day, it's a measure of what is the real risk you are trying to protect Singaporeans from, right? Because to take three steps back that because hypothetically, if you're an independent media and you're getting funding from a foreign entity and you would thereby publish matters that would influence political debate and thereby cause a change that's to the detrimental of Singaporeans, that's actually three steps back and it's actually an extremely tenuous link, right? So at the end of the day, if there is such real risk that you could be getting funding, even at the extreme end, that you could be getting funding from a foreign political entity that has interest in pursuing um, Singaporeans or policies to be driven in a very specific way, you have to really understand, does our political process even allow that? If we're just taking the bare risk that they are trying to prevent, right? Foreign interference in politics. That, that at the end, if we can just summarize in a nutshell. If you look at the current um, makeup of parliament, we already have the incumbents in control. 
Um, and in that sense, ready to push forward certain bills that you th they think would be in the interest of Singaporeans. Um, a lot of policies, whether it concerns COVID in the current situation, whether it concerns healthcare, whether it concerns education, all aspects of Singaporean lives are already being considered, debated, and various policies, various laws are already implemented with certain thinking, with certain policies, with certain um, groups of ministers, parliamentarians who already hold certain views about how Singaporean life should be governed, right? And with the GRC system, uh, that is unlikely to change and which is still a major political hurdle for anyone in the alternative camp trying to even get a footing in parliament. These are already massive hurdles for anyone to try and make a difference in policy making. So if you just look at the reality of politics as they are in Singapore and whether um, any form of online or social media influence could impact potentially in setting a different tone and different direction for policy making that would fundamentally undermine the interests of Singaporeans. I would say that at the very least, the reality of Singapore politics as we know it today probably is not at that juncture where we need to push through this bill in a rush of three weeks. And whether that risk can out fundamentally come out in a different occasion, a different time, in a different space, that is never an impossibility. But if it does ever come out, then perhaps you'll be another time in another space where a bill such as FICA may possibly be reasonably considered with the appropriate measures and balance. But I would say that in the current climate, as you know it, in terms of policy making, uh, the draft bill as it's currently presented is probably premature in its form. <laughs> okay. Cool. Something mean, like a, a lawyer and a politician. I think um the sixty percent of Singaporeans are generally happy with how their lives are being governed and ruled and they have taken that decision the last election. Well, okay, okay. I, I, I have to stop you there because I've done videos arguing that that's not true because there's so much okay, fear okay, institutionally can that, the way the GRC system works, town councils, people are punished, you know, so you can't say 60% or 70% just based on that pure thing. There, there's real fear out there and academics have demonstrated course, that through surveys. Yeah. Of course. Mm, yeah. yeah, but, but then... Um, uh, I think perhaps Manwai can add to it, but I think... Yeah, please, uh, but PJ, on the ground, that's probably my view of it. Yeah, correct. Um, uh, PJ, but what uh, uh, Wendy say is still true, you know, because whatever it is, the outcome is important, right? So the 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 whole set of environmental environmental factors in Singapore condition the results into sixty percent, forty percent, sixty percent in favor of the incumbent and all that. And uh, mind you, in Singapore, is that. You know, you 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 don't need to have sixty percent actually to become government. In fact, you don't even need sixty percent of the vote uh, to become an absolute majority. Absolute majority in Singapore means sixty-seven percent of the seats. But currently, the government has eighty-seven percent of the seats. Okay, so mm -hmm. actually, um, uh, you know, there's also this uh, first past the post system that you know that favors the incumbent and all that. So the so the whole system is is there. Uh, so so while uh, you may say that Singaporeans inside, they think differently and all that, but then I think what is most important for, for politics in Singapore, for political change in Singapore is that 
you know, the sum total of the effect of all these factors still created the results of today. Yeah. So to come back to the question you asked about what is the difference between foreign interference and foreign participation, basically is whether you're for or against them. Right? <laughs> so as long as you're a foreigner, you come in, you speak in favor of all the policies that are in Singapore, then you, you are you're welcome to, uh, to participate in our public uh, discourse. But if you come in and directly or indirectly, you help some Singaporeans to understand the situation from an alternative perspective, that there could be improvement done to certain policies and all that, and you try to reflect those things in, in the public discourse, then you become foreign interference. So that's very simple and, uh, and uh, really very straightforward in my opinion. Oh, thanks, Manwai. I'm glad. I'm so glad you told it like it is. Uh, you know, and it's really refreshing to hear a politician just actually tell it like it is because that I think, yeah, it's 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 really good to hear you speak so directly. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have some questions here, which are actually um, okay. First of all, about uh, fundamentally, given that there's no chance of of this not passing, um, and also. Uh, another question about the difference between FICA and ISA is that ISA is seen as evil and FICA so far uh, is, you know, it'll be new so people won't know how to deal with it. So this suggests that ultimately this really isn't about security or interference. It's a political issue about what Singaporeans can accept or, uh, you know, and what the PAP can, can get away with. Right. So how do you plan to, do you agree with this and do you plan to address this um, as politicians in your campaigns, you know, telling people, helping them understand that these are actually fundamentally political issues, not security ones? Yes, I think that's, that's what we are trying to uh, probably present uh, in Parliament uh, on Monday. Because we, we, we won't be uh, dealing too much about legal aspects of the thing, like, like I've told the minister in the last debate on the, on the foreign manpower and FTAs or that, you know, parliament should not be just a legal interpretation forum. It should be a forum to discuss about the future of the, of the country. And so we should be discussing from a social economic angle, from the, from the angle of ordinary Singaporeans can appreciate, you know, what impacts their life directly. So we hope to be able to uh, do that uh, in our uh, in our uh, presentations in the uh, in our debate in the parliament uh, on Monday and also in the future. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add on that um, you know uh, the press releases by the Ministry of Home Affairs have presented uh, the FICA bill as a bill that's very targeted against foreign interference and in particular hostile information campaigns, uh, really uh, making it look as though it's about. Uh, foreign governments having some form of interference in our country. Um, uh, but uh, the reality is that the language of the bill um, is far broader than that um, because uh, even influence can be considered interference under the bill. Um, and influence uh, can take place in many forms. It could be in the form of discussions as well, um, especially when you consider that collaborations with uh, foreign entities and individuals are also captured under the bill. So um, I, I think in that sense, uh, it brings it much wider to just um, the interference from foreign governments, uh, which I, I think really um, that's the nut of uh, the issue that we want to see addressed. Um, and I think that's what's being addressed uh, in the world 
uh, today as well that interference by foreign governments is the key issue, I think, that, that um, we should focus on. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. Actually, there's a series of questions about this foreign um, aspect. Does this law, this law doesn't actually stop foreign interference. It only criminalizes Singaporeans who are proxies for uh, foreign interference, right? So there's no way this law actually stops, you know, China, Russia, whatever other country running a hostile campaign um, from abroad. And the one might say, okay, the directions, you know, aim to stop this, but it doesn't then punish those governments at all. Is that, that's accurate? Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't punish governments. Uh, it's a... Uh, we can't, we can't punish the... the yeah, the, the individuals who carry out and um, it, it tries to stop the interference from happening uh, and preventively as well because there are anticipatory directions. For example, you can restrict certain accounts um, if the minister has a suspicion that a foreign principal is involved and there are going to be certain online communications activity undertaken on behalf of that foreign principal. So I think a um, there was a, an article that came out just was it yesterday that Facebook notes that, okay, so we agree foreign intervention, uh, intervention bad, but most of these information campaigns that we see in Singapore are actually domestic. And there was another um, article from Kirsten Hans, We the Citizens newsletter, which showed that uh, Chinese newspapers actually hew very closely to the Beijing government line because they want to expand their audience in China and get more, you know, for advertising, for more readership. So it isn't even deliberate foreign intervention. They just parrot the line because they want to make money. How on earth do then do we do we address this issue? Um, how do we, you know, if if for if like information campaigns are domestic and if if people like willingly do foreign, like speak on behalf of foreigners. To make money, you know, and there's no way to find an actual someone actually campaigning or coordinating this, right? Then how do we address these campaigns? Open question to anyone. Yeah, PJ, can I come in? Yeah, sure, yeah, please. Okay, I think really at the end of the day, uh, our thinking is that you have to empower Singaporeans. You have to give more information to Singaporeans so that Singaporean can make the judgment. As it is now, Singaporeans are already, we Singaporeans are already quite intelligent. Okay, we can actually decide for ourselves. Okay, so no matter what kind of campaign foreign countries do against us, I think we have the ability to assess the information. And if certain information really, uh, certain information campaign really becomes very big, we are a relatively small country. We straight away can identify, oh, that campaign is actually getting a bit out of hand. Then it's up to the government to come in, give more information, explain to the Singaporeans that this information is not correct. You know, and given that this government commands a high level of credibility still among the Singaporeans, I really don't see how uh, we need to tighten, you know, uh, uh, the hole on the Singaporeans with this new bill. The, 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 real, the, the, the thing that government should be doing is really to promote better information so that Singaporeans know more, you know, uh, what is going on. And even maybe the government can even share some of the security threats that are threatening Singapore 
give a little bit more information so that we get more aware. And the more aware Singaporeans are, I think we are very disciplined, uh, intelligent and resourceful uh, 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 people. I think we can actually uh, guard our country against foreign interference. Oh, thanks, Mon. I, I think that's 180 degrees from how the PAP sees the country. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> where not intelligent or mature enough to handle any of this information, doesn't want us to know any of it. and just Which is a us. sad thing, right? Which is a sad <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. After 60 years in power, you know, that's who we've become. If we're actually how they describe, I mean, they've been in power 60 years. They're the ones who molded us this way. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. so um, we have about eight minutes left and I just want to encourage everyone to send in any final questions. Um, and uh, while we're waiting for those, there is another dimension. We're talking about foreign, right? But are we falling into a sort of trap here because we are keeping this debate and this campaign entirely domestic? Whereas um, other campaigns freely draw upon international dimensions, especially when, say, the government talks about certain issues and they're like, you know, um, Singapore is, is so good in X, Y, and Z, right? We get lots of praise from foreigners or we ally with these other countries uh, or other countries praise Singapore or they, they say, you know, Singapore is an example of a country. You know, this. so the government is e easy, I mean... Um, they, they draw upon our international connections to show the success of their policies and to justify a lot of things that they do by comparing us uh, to other countries or drawing upon, um, you know, examples elsewhere. But because of this narrative, we don't want to be called, like, uh, collaborating, you know, with foreigners, proxies uh, for foreign intervention, whatever. We restrict ourselves domestically. Right. So is there an international dimension to this that we're missing where um, with new anti-foreign invention laws being passed around the world, for example, or, or speech being clamped down, should the, could the PSP collaborate with political parties elsewhere, international NGOs, to broaden the debate on this? Uh, because, and you know, this is, uh, as, as Gary Rodan has shown in his work, the only thing that the PAP really, really, really responds to and is very sensitive to is foreign investment. And, you know, the irony, right? They're, they're actually very sensitive to the levels of foreign investment, to foreign capital and to capitalist profitability for foreign companies. So could we, for example, ally with foreign organizations who are worried about this law alongside NGOs and ASEAN parliamentarians for human rights, for example, right? We're not even talking about the West. We're talking about ASEAN. ASEAN parliamentarians for human rights has campaigned on various issues. They called our elections unfree and unfair, you know. So are we falling into a trap by the PAP to restrict ourselves when actually we are in one of the most open, globalized societies in the world? Mm. PJ, what you describe right, is exactly what FICA is going to catch, right? I was going to say. <laughs> but I think then again, we don't know, right? Because it's up to the minister's discretion. So, catch yeah, some, yeah. Potentially, la, Carol, potentially. Yeah, yeah. But let's think he wants to scare you into not drawing upon resources and allies around the world. When the PAP draws upon its resources and allies all over the world, Absolutely. in particular, international yeah. capital. Yeah, so it's uh, back to your, your, your question just now about foreign interference and foreign participation, right? They can draw on all, all those things. And very often, the foreign accolades that we get from overseas, very often, they tell half the story. 
Okay, you know, they, they don't tell the whole story. Okay, like for example, our university ranking, for example, we may be ranked very high, but it don't seem to have much uh, spin-off effect on our economy. Why is that so? They actually have to give the complete story. The complete story is actually to get a high ranking in the university ranking, you need to have professors who have written a lot of papers uh, that have a lot of citation. Okay, the more citations your, your university professor have, the, the higher rank your, your university is. That is one of the key factors. Okay, but of course there are other factors, but that's one of the key factors. So in order to get our university into the high ranking, what do you do? Buy or bring in all those foreign professors that already got a lot of papers written, a lot of citations, and bring it over to our university. And straight away, those citations become you know, part and parcel of the assets and the advantages of our, our, our university. But all those things doesn't have the spin-off in developing our Singaporean talent. You know, and, and actually meeting the needs of our industry. So you see some of these, I mean, besides this, there are lots of uh, uh, examples that, you know, even those foreign accolades that they, 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 they talk about, actually, they are half the story. We, we have to actually look at what is the real effect on, uh, in, in terms of generating benefits for Singapore and for Singaporeans. Okay, thank you. I just want to quickly reply to a comment uh, which which says ASEAN parliamentarians for human rights. Have you looked around ASEAN's record on human rights lately? And note that ASEAN parliamentarians for human rights are overwhelmingly opposition parliamentarians around the region trying to improve ASEAN's record on human rights. They're not ASEAN governments, and uh, it's not a uh, you know it's it's not a governmental uh, organization. They're actually. Uh, an international regional NGO. Okay, so it's it's um, they actually they actually do important, really good work. Okay, mm. so I think there's a last series of questions very quickly about the next elections and are we worried, for example, that FICO will be used to prevent opposition politicians from running in the next elections or affect the next elections the way POFMA was used um, in this past election? And is there anything that can stop that? Well, if the if the bill is passed, then potentially uh, the risk will be higher. Mm -hmm. Like I say just now, it will probably set back the, the process by five to ten years. And uh, but you know we can't help it like, because right now you know the the incumbent has such a super majority in the in the parliament. Yeah, the risk is there definitely. Yeah. Okay, so I think we we've only got about uh, one minute left. Um, would any of you like to? make any final remarks or any final points? Um, Wendy, uh, maybe you can go first. Is there anything you'd like to sum up? Um, I think a link to your earlier question about whether there's an international dimension to this that we're missing out. Um, in some sense, while the legislation is phrased as one that's for prevention of foreign interference, uh, fundamentally, I think it's looking at building a relationship of trust domestically, right? I, I think it's um, when there's a relationship of trust between the people and the government, then whatever information that you're going to get from foreign directed sources, that is less likely to undermine your level of trust domestically if you are having that strong relationship to, to begin with. So I would say that focus on, on building policies and measures and directives that would foster that trust than to enact legislation that will undermine that trust. 
Because when you continuously erode that trust, then whatever means that foreign principals or agents are going to have to bring in news or information that will undermine that trust um, would take on a more significant and sinister effect. So my, my reflective thinking is really um, a more fundamental one. How do you build on that relationship of trust than to try and bring out all these legislations that will compromise that? Thank you. Manway? Um, well, I just uh, hope that Singaporeans and uh, have uh, will, 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 will try to understand more about this bill. Uh, this is yet another bill that uh, will um, probably be uh, very sensitive to a lot of uh, the activities uh, that you know uh, both ordinary Singaporeans and politicians uh, want to con uh, want to do. You know, going forward, uh, I think it is a bill that is even more important than POFMA. Uh, it, it has a a, uh, a uh, political dimension probably that is even uh, equal or bigger than the reserve uh, uh, presidential uh, 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 election amendment bill. Uh, so I hope uh, Singaporeans will uh, look at all these things and, uh, and, uh, and then uh, hopefully in the future we can uh, chart the direction of our country differently. Yeah. Thank you. Carol, any final words? I want to echo um, what Manwai and Wendy said. Uh, and I think um, how this trust uh, with the government plays out will really depend on the upcoming parliamentary debates and also how uh, this bill is later on exercised. Um, I think uh, the, our, our impression of the bill um, has already been formed uh, by how there was an absence of public consultation with regards to this bill as compared to the public hearings that we saw for POFMA. Um, and so really, uh, there was an announcement two years ago that there is going to be legislation about foreign interference. And now um, this bill suddenly just comes out. And, you know, the someone, someone had a question about how laws are passed. And, you know, usually um, the government releases the bill one month before and then one month later is debated. But I think um, in important bills, uh, there is normally a public consultation process, um, however brief that might be. Uh, but in this case, there wasn't. So um, I think how the next week will play out is really crucial and uh, yeah, I would encourage everyone to uh, speak up and to understand more. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Okay, so that's all the time we have left. Um, and I want to thank Carol, Manwai and Wendy for joining thank us today. You. And to thank uh, my producer Kelly behind the scenes and to thank all of you for joining us. And if you do want to educate yourselves, there's no way, no better way to do it than to sign up as a member for, of New Narrative. Uh, just 52 US dollars a year, but if you can't afford it, just write in and we'll have another member sponsor your membership. So it's free, sponsorship at, at newnarrative.com. Uh, but to join, newnarrative.com slash join and to donate, newnarrative.com slash donate. And I want to reassure everyone, no matter what happens, New Narrative is not going anywhere. We will continue to fight, we will continue to tell the truth, and we will continue to bring you our award-winning investigative journalism, our podcasts, our events, our comics. We will keep fighting. So thank you very much, everyone, and good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, PJ and Kelly, for hosting us. <laughs>